0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Leadership in Action on Business Radio.
0: Welcome to Leadership in Action on SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Mike Hussein. I'm with the McNulty Leadership Program and the Center for Leadership at the Wharton School. I want to remind our good listeners that you can hear new episodes of our show every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, right here on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. And of course, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. So there it is. I'd like to introduce now our guest Charles Weinstein who is chief executive officer of the Eisner Advisory Group which includes Eisner Amper. We're going to um, explain to everybody uh, what uh, those uh, firms are involved in, in just a second but uh, Charlie I want to welcome you to the program.
1: Great, Mike. Uh, pleasure to be here and nice to uh, nice to speak with you today.
0: All right, well great to have you. I'm going to say a couple of words about you Charlie as I said um uh Eisner Amper, by the way, is a licensed CPA firm. Uh, and you sit on the Eisner Advisory Group's board of directors. We're going to be talking about governance and leadership in the boardroom. You're a member of the executive committee. You've got a lot of years of experience, more than 30 in the field of public accounting. And you've held leadership positions throughout your entire career. So Charlie. <laughs> You are perfect for this show. You think about leadership in all of its many guises. So, Charlie, let me uh, begin this way. Uh, We do like to make our program as personal as we can as we get going. Uh, Tell us a little bit about just your own evolution from your college days into becoming a certified public accountant, Uh, building a couple of firms. You've been involved in mergers and acquisitions. We'll come back to all that, but... How did you get going on all the above?
1: <laughs> well, it, it's uh, it's it's a fun story for me. And so I went off to college at 16. I uh, went to school in Binghamton, State University of New York in Binghamton. And uh, I graduated in 1978. And in 1978, uh, jobs were really difficult to come by. And I, uh, believe it or not, I hand-typed... Uh, 200 cover letters to CPA firms in the New York marketplace. Okay. Um, Extra credit on that. (laughs) (laughs) Lick stamps and sent them in the mail. And uh, being a little young as I was uh, graduating college and and really not having any um, background with professional services firms, um, really my sister was the, uh, my older sister was the first in our family to go to college. And I was... uh, Right behind her. And so, um, you know, I really didn't have much experience and I couldn't find a job. And so I graduated, oh, it's a long time ago. So maybe it's magna cum laude, uh, but pretty well, a 3839Q and impossible to find a job. And when I came home, I kind of figured it out and I got my job through the New York Times. And so <laughs> I started with a very small accounting firm, just a handful of people. Stayed there for a year or so, thought the world was a little bigger uh, than that firm. And I wanted to see the world and uh, joined um, a larger CPA firm called Manjud Landau. And I was there for 10 years. And on the verge of becoming a partner, uh, the firm was acquired. And so I went with my heart. I wanted to stay in the middle market, working closely with clients. And I left to go to what was then Richard A. Eisner and Company. And um, I've been at Richard A. Eisner and Company since 1989. It's been 32 years, and uh, it's been a whole heck of a lot of fun.
0: What a great run. Uh, Charlie, just out of curiosity, when you were 18, probably a fresh person there at Binghamton, great university, of course, did you anticipate any of what you are doing now back then in some form? Could you see the future um, in any respect at that time?
1: Oh, gosh, no. I I must tell you the things that I've been privileged to do in my career. I've been to the White House several times. I've traveled the world. I've been to over 40 countries. I've met the most interesting people. (laughs) Um, Who would ever have thought that a CPA would have the opportunity to do all those things? It's just so far beyond the realm of what I ever thought it could be. Yeah. A great career uh, for young people.
0: So let's connect the dots between the White House and uh, your, your. I assume you were an accounting major at Binghamton or something close to it. So here's, a, um, it's not a stereotype, but I think it's a, just a general description. Uh, serving as a certified public accountant, very technical, very demanding, very exacting. And by the way, as a recipient of good CPA services, really important to get it right, and, and our and our a CPA person does a great job. Um, but that's a lot of dots from the White House. So tell us how you ended up in the White House.
1: Great, would love to. And uh, your career takes you down a lot of different roads, and and meeting people, and and seizing opportunities, um, being in the right place at the right time, sometimes creates opportunities for you. And um, through the many years I've I've given back to the profession, I've been a very active member of the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the New York State Society of Certified Public Accountants. And and I've I've really uh, spent a lot of time uh, developing uh, relationships and and working into leadership positions in those professional organizations and culminating in serving on the board of the AICPA. And the AICPA very active in in, uh, supporting the profession and business in general. Um, And so I had the opportunity as a board member to attend a meeting in the White House uh, with the Council of Economic Advisors, uh, talking a, a, a lot about business issues and, and as they relate to both the tax side um, and financial reporting, which which is critical to, uh, to our, our business and society as we know it.
0: Yep, great. Just a throwaway line here, I bet you were in the Roosevelt Room in the White House.
1: I was. (laughs) You've been there, I take it.
0: I have been in the Roosevelt Room. I never made it into the Oval Office, but I did have an evening tour of the White House. Everybody says it turns out to be absolutely the case that the halls are narrow. It's not palace-like, but obviously quite functional. And one of the most important meeting rooms of all, right across the hall there from the Oval Office, is, of course, the Roosevelt Room. So... Let me come back to ICPA, the American Institute for Certified Public Accountants. My guess is that's pretty uncompensated work and it's a lot of work. So, in taking a professional responsibility, what animated you to put a lot of time into something that does not bring you any cash at the end of the year so your CPA does not have to worry about anything from your service? But you've done a lot of it. Why do you do that, Charlie?
1: Uh, everyone will probably tell you the same thing. The more you give, the more you get back yeah. and giving back to the profession. I served on a professional. I, I was the chair of the professional liability insurance program. I was the chair of the major firms group. Um, you get to meet so many people and, and, supporting the profession, supporting colleagues, sharing knowledge, building the CPA profession that's always been really important to me personally and professionally it has been a, a you know a, a, a windfall of building relationships and, and further career opportunities. so it's good for the profession and it's been wonderful for me personally.
0: A colleague of ours wrote a book uh, a year or two ago on how to become more strategic in thought. One of the arguments he makes with a colleague is that if you get out of your office, you get out of your hometown, you get out of your daily professional duties in ways that enlarge your ability to think about those duties, you are more effective in working with the client or, or clients, or to put this more generically, you're gonna be more effective in leading uh, a CPA firm and beyond. What do you think?
1: Uh, I I would agree with that. I have a, a perspective on this with I, I, which I share with my colleagues in the firm. And as, as CPAs, the work we do is exacting and detailed, as you mentioned, what makes us the most effective is when we're able to look outside the walls of our four, uh, the four walls of our office, and we can look through the window and see what's happening in the rest of the world, and and as we understand what's happening in the rest of the world and disruption and changes, we can combine that with our subject matter expertise, and that's really how we serve our clients best. Yeah, we know what's in the books, what's happening in the world, and. You use the phrase that I love all the, to say all the time, connect the dots.
0: Yep, yep. Charlie, I'm going to take a 15-second opportunity here to remind our listeners. This is Leadership in Action, Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm your host, Mike Yassim. Our guest today is Charles Weinstein, the Chief Executive Officer of Eisner Advisory Group. A quick reference to that title, um, if you, your work goes beyond service as a certified public accountant. So tell us about the the rest of your professional life, the duties besides serving as a trusted advisor to a client. What else does your work currently entail beyond that?
1: As the CEO of our firm, um... I have responsibility for the 2,200 colleagues that work in our firm, um, making sure that we can provide career opportunities, that that they enjoy their work, uh, that they grow in their careers. And so um, it boils down to what you do on a day-to-day basis. But my focus is really always we're a people business, and my focus is really always on how can I support our colleagues and, and help them achieve a measure of success. And, and you know, inside of inside of that, uh, there are just uh, so many things that that I feel responsible for. Uh, but keeping the culture right at Eisner Amper is uh, by far the most important thing.
0: Just dwell on the fact that uh, akin to you, uh, I, like so many of our listeners, had a very I had a very technical degree as an undergraduate. I was a physics major. I mentioned that on the air before. And the challenge in coming out at age 21 or 22 with a major that is very demanding, very precise, very exacting, and very individual, is to evolve from that, in your case, to the oversight of a firm of 2,200 people. So Charlie, I think you can see where I'm going with this question. How did you get from that dot to your current dot? How did you learn to lead?
1: I had the, the best mentors ever. And so in I was very fortunate in my career. Um, when I did change jobs and, and first moved to uh, Richard, what was then Richard A. Eisner and Company in 1989, I had the, the real privilege of working for two icons in the accounting profession, Dick Eisner, hmm. obviously the firm is named after Dick Eisner, and Ted Levine. And Dick and Ted were radically different individuals, And there was so much to learn from each of them and they they both had very different approaches to business and they were so complementary of each other and so uh, having the opportunity to to learn and and i was already pretty far along into my career i joined the firm Mm -hmm. as a partner in 1989 and Having that opportunity to spend a lot of time with Dick and a lot of time with Teddy, um, and learning, learning two things really: what they did well, and what I thought they could do better. And so, if if you can figure out uh, how to emulate the things that your mentors do well and build on some of the challenges you see, uh, then you know hopefully you can pass that on to the next generation.
0: All right, Charlie, let me turn that into a a question about something that you recall from that mentoring that has really stayed with you, especially in the second category. And that is what you might have done differently or what they might have done differently with the benefit of hindsight. What example or what illustration comes to mind on that in your own professional development?
1: Well, so uh, um, one thing... That really comes to mind is um, how you have to engage with your partners and and how important it is to understand, put yourself in their shoes. And there was, uh, there there came a time where I was in a meeting with one of my mentors and um, that uh, we were we were having a discussion with a partner and the partner um, had a comment or or a question. And it was taken out of context by my mentor and uh, it was downplayed. And what I learned from that in the in the biggest way was if it's important to someone else, if something is important to someone else, then it has to be important to you. And so when you're in that conversation and, and you're engaging with another person, if there's something that's important to them, you have to acknowledge it, accept that it's important to them. And, and uh, through, that, through that example, um, this is 20 years ago, um, and it lives with me today. And I, I, I try and think about that all the time
0: a really interesting point. Let me stay on this for just a second more with the flip side of mentoring, and that is, as a mentee, you are also seeing things that uh, one of your mentors may have done that you would have done differently, and if so, you might have been inclined to tell your mentor what she or he ought to have done differently. So does an example come to mind over the years where somebody superior to you in the hierarchy there, your boss or uh, one of these two uh, mentors in particular, were you looking carefully at what they're doing, said, um, I appreciate the circumstance, but I humbly recommend a different approach? Does anything in that category come to mind?
1: Um. 100%, and and this is something I also think about as well. Um, I've been attending uh, leadership conferences for the CPA profession, the major firms group, which at at one point I came to chair. Um, And I attended a a meeting, an MFG meeting um, in probably it was 2000 or 2001, and at the time, we all shared, lot, all the firms shared lots of financial information, and, and um, our, form was, our firm was really underperforming. And one of the partners that I, I had a relationship with, who also attended those, from another firm, uh, also attended those meetings, had looked at our financial information and, and said to me, Charlie, you just became the managing partner, but they're going to fire you. And I said, why is that, Bernie? And he said, well, look at your numbers. Look at everyone else's numbers. And, and, and he was right. Uh, he was really, truly right. We were underperforming and we had so much potential, such an unbelievable reputation in the profession and so much potential. And um, it was by the wayside. And on the plane ride back to New York, I sketched out a new plan for the firm. And I went in to see Dick Eisner on Monday morning, and Dick was the administrative partner. Teddy, uh, Dick was great at growth as well, but Teddy was more focused on the nuts and bolts of of sort of the accounting side of the practice. And I went into Dick and I said, Dick, here's some thoughts on, on what I think we should do to reshape the business. And he looked at it and he looked up from his desk and he looked at me and he said, okay. Hmm. And um, just uh, just said, go ahead. No roadmap, no instructions. Just go right ahead. And so I was. Uh, they were the two founding partners. I was the third managing partner, and went about and reshaped the business. And the support from Dick and the support from Teddy was just unbelievable. And the firm began to thrive. Really Great. thrive yeah. right through this day. Um, never, um, you know, that was the first transformation that our firm went through. And we've had two or three other transformations as well. And uh, just change, get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Change is Great. good.
0: Great. Charlie, I've got a hunch that when you went in there, you had already made a study of your boss. And that is, you knew. His style, uh, you anticipated, not necessarily that outcome, but uh, it more generally points to if you're going to, uh, I tend to call it leading up, helping people above us get to a more promised land, it's good to make a pretty good study of how they think, how they tend to respond, what they will pick up on. I guess that's a way of leading into a a question. We're gonna take a break in just a few minutes here. I think part of your 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 life in the profession has become been coming to understand your customers, certainly your other professionals in your firm, and the people who are above you, whether the managing partners or the board of directors. So taking that as a given, how do you learn about people above you so you can lead with them, as you did in this case, more effectively?
1: it's good to listen. It's good to ask questions. It's good to be humble. It's good to look for the best in people. And I, I yeah. learned that from Dick. Wow. I, I remember his saying to me, and, and, you know, this is a people business. It's a hard business. And sometimes you have to make tough decisions with, with people. And uh, Dick always said, Um, If you are uh, if you're in a position where you are really having to inform a partner that perhaps they have to leave or things aren't working out, you have to approach that from the positive and you always have to look Mm -hmm. for the good. You have to be forthright um, always. And you lead with the bad news first and then you find you find the best that you can in that conversation. And you emphasize that that as well. And so listening, listening, um, and try to focus on the positive wherever you can.
0: I have a hunch it took a while for those ideas to emerge. They aren't natural ideas. Uh, and at age 21, as you've came out of Binghamton, they probably were not top of mind. So the act of listening, looking for the positive, well, where did those come from? And I'm assuming, but correct me if I'm r- wrong, they probably came a little bit later in your career than when you were an undergraduate.
1: Yeah. Um, they, 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 uh, those concepts evolved over time and have been reinforced by other other great leaders that I've been in in contact with and um, have have had the opportunity to work with. And I, I will say this a big mistake that I made in my career. When you think about timing, uh, I was never one for reading books and looking for advice mm-hmm. until perhaps eight or 10 years ago. Um, that's the trouble when you think you're the smartest person in the room and you're not really. And so, uh, you know, had I done that earlier, had I, Had I had a a broader view, a broader mindset, uh, I probably would have learned some of these things much earlier in my career. Uh, But you never stop learning. And so I was learning other things.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Good. Uh, We are going to take a break in just a minute. And I want to tee up a topic, though, Charlie, we're going to come back to. I'd like listeners to start thinking about this, too. When you took your first Management responsibility, you might have had a couple uh, people working with you, but maybe just a handful. You said earlier, just a few minutes ago, that you have 2,200 now, and the day is long past when there's high touch to get them to move in the right direction, um, especially with uh, the shutdown where so many people are working remotely. So the question we're going to come back to is how you, and you mentioned culture along the way, how you draw upon culture and put it to your use in the best way possible. As a teaser on that, can you give us one minute on how culture is one of the great levers of effective leadership, especially when you have more than five or 10 people working with you?
1: The way I think about this is, is culture is what you do, not what you say. And, um, the the tone at the top is very very important and so respecting people engaging with people taking an interest in their lives taking an interest in their careers the conversations with with people and it gets harder as you get bigger Uh, and it's it's easy enough to walk the halls um, and manage by walking the halls when when you're a, a smaller business and as you grow You have to find the ways to keep connected with people. And and the spoken word and the written word, every word matters. Every single word matters.
0: All right, Charlie, hold that thought if you wouldn't mind. Let me just remind everybody, we're going to take a very short break. Don't go away. We're going to come back and continue our dialogue with Charles Weinstein. I'm Mike Yusine. This is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. We got a minute uh, for a break here, and I want you all to be thinking about how you could put uh, some of Charlie's ideas to work around the issue of culture. Stay with us.
1: You're listening to Leadership in Action
0: on Business Radio. Welcome back to Leadership in Action, Series XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Mike Yuseen, I'm here on the faculty. I work with the McNulty Leadership Program and our guest today is Charles Weinstein, Chief Executive Officer of Eisner Advisory Group. And as we heard before the break, uh, he has overseen uh, the professional work of over 2000 people. And Charlie, just to ease back into our, our dialogue, I did note that uh, you received an award uh, from a, a magazine as one of the best places to work in New York City. Your headquarters has been recognized for its design, including um, some acute appreciation for what it's going to be, uh, how we're going to work in an era where so much work is going to be remote or online in some way. So just to ease on uh, back into our discussion with that topic, uh, how did you come to be one of the best places to work in New York City? What went into that?
1: Uh, a, a, a lot of years of, of hard work by a dedicated group of partners. And, um, you know, our, our philosophy at the firm is, uh, you know, we're built on respect and, and collegiality and collaboration and providing opportunities for our colleagues to grow in their careers and to provide for their family. And, families and and our partnership group has really embraced that for years and years and years and and sometimes it shows up when you win an award
0: Hmm. very good and on the issue of the design of your headquarters uh it's the hybrid era it may be here longer than we anticipated so what went into the design and help us understand why it was recognized
1: Mike, that's a a great question. Thank you, because I'm so proud of of the offices, the new headquarters that we built in in New York City, and it goes back. The design and the thought around building our headquarters goes back uh, probably three years ago, which is a couple of years before the pandemic, and we were already anticipating all of the trends that we jumped right into overnight when we went remote. Uh, we built our offices around flexibility and flexible workspace, and um, the design is is unbelievable. We had uh, Michael Bright and uh, Rob Levine were responsible for building out the offices and, and working with FCA, our architects, to design them. And they came to me one day with a, a furniture plan, and they had pictures of the furniture, and I, I looked at the I looked at the pictures of the furniture and it looked just like the furniture we had in the office and already. And I, I looked at the paper and I politely crumpled it up and I threw it in the work in, in the, in the wastebasket. And I, I said, well, we wanted this furniture. We'll just bring our old furniture over, get crazy. And we're an accounting firm. And so get crazy is the, Words you don't really hear all that much around an accounting firm get crazy, and our office is crazy, and it's beautiful, and it's welcoming, and it and it's green, and it's um, it's it's just when we get back to work when we're when we're all able to work and and hybrid is is probably here to stay forever, but when we get back, um, people will. Our people will totally appreciate the comfort and and the welcoming aspects of of the way we built the office. And and Michael and Rob just did an unbelievable job. And and we're actually up to four awards. Four different architectural digests have recognized our our office design as being a, a leading edge office design in New York and nationally.
0: Implicit in that. In your success with that and your pride of uh, ownership of it is, I think, an assumption, which I think is correct. We're going to have to lead a little bit differently in the hybrid era for the next couple of years than we're used to over the prior years. So, Charlie, a direct question to you on that one. In the era where a lot of people that work for you aren't going to see you maybe for days at a time, they're just not in the building, uh, what does it take to lead in an era where so many people are going to be remote next six months and maybe even more than that? What does it take?
1: Well, it, it, it's a lot more effort to bump into people <laughs> when it's less natural. And so it, it you need to be deliberate about engaging with people. You need to be focused on creating opportunities to to interact with people, even if it's on a Zoom or online, um, you need to keep your energy. You need to keep smiling. People need to know, need to see that um, things are good and and they're difficult and, and there are problems. But if we work together, if we can Stay together and be together and, and support each other, um, things will be fine.
0: I think it's a great point. Implicit in that is that uh, you got to get a little bit crazy and you got to be smiley, even if we're only in two dimensions.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> a challenge itself, but it can be achieved. Charlie, let's talk a, a little bit about the lofty position you you inhabit now, where so many people are influenced by you, are directed by you, uh, their fate is in your hands. And just to ask about, as you became chief executive in particular, what was your biggest surprise on becoming chief executive? Surprise in the sense that you didn't appreciate it or didn't see it going in and all of a sudden, my goodness, it's looking you right in the face.
1: As the as the CEO, yes, I've learned over the years that um, actually no one will tell me the truth. They tell me what they think I want to hear. And so um, I have learned over the years to cultivate enough relationships um, throughout our organization so I can really understand the pulse without cutting through the noise and and um, listen this is a a, a a position of great respect in inside the firm and um, people will go out of their way um, to to say nice things to me or to compliment a lot of different things that I've done um, and I understand that I appreciate that and sometimes they're right um, other times there are things they're dying to say and they just don't come out and you need to cultivate a way to understand what's happening in your organization so you can lead effectively.
0: A follow on question along the same line, and that is. We have perceptions before we do something, I had a lot of perceptions, some right and some wrong when I walked into the West Wing of the White House. As you became chief executive, what turned out not to be true that you thought was going to be true once you got there?
1: It sounds like a demanding and very stressful job. And what what I found, and it's been 22 years I've been in this position as the managing partner or CEO of the firm, I found that um, you can really enjoy it. And you can enjoy your work. And yes, we make difficult decisions. And yes, we get to p- see people's successes. And and yes, there are days that are up and down. If you keep focused on enjoying what you do and looking for the best, as Dick Eisner taught me, then you can really in, enjoy and cast aside the stress and the difficulty, and, and you can. Uh, focus on those things that make this job so enjoyable. You know, Charlie,
0: stress is also mitigated by light moments. And uh, I'll I'll give you one of my own that occurred a week or two ago. I'm responsible for a course for mid-career managers. It's an executive MBA program. It's the leadership course. I sent uh, the 100 or so students off to run a simulation uh, it's it's a high-tech age, but it's also a challenge high-tech age because of the, in this case, the hybrid course we are running. Uh, I got tapped on the shoulder after about 30 seconds by one of my students says, Mike, we're really eager to do the simulation, except when we open up the web page, it's in the Chinese language. So anyway, that was, for me, a lighter moment. I can't <laughs> believe how bad things can go, but boy, they went in a funny way bad. So anyway, back to you. Well, what, what are one or two of the lighter moments, the funnier moments, the more fun moments that you've had over the years?
1: Well, something that really stands out to me, and I'm unsure that anyone else will really relate to this. Um, however, it was a very, very stressful time when I was leaving my firm, which was going to be acquired in, in 1980, 1988, 1989, and joining joining uh, Richard A. Eisner and Company. And I I had a call from a friend who was the HR partner at Richard A. Eisner and Company. And and Rick called me and he, I had actually called Rick and said, Rick, I'm not going to stay. Can you introduce me to to some executive recruiters to help me prepare for a next job? And he said, no, I won't do that. And I said, why is that? He said, well, I want you to come up and meet Dick Eisner. And then after you meet Dick, uh, then whatever it is I can do to help you, I'll help you. I said, great, let's set it up. He said, no, come up now. And I said, okay. And I looked down at my shoes. And of course, they were scuffed and they had a hole in the bottom. And I thought, gosh, I'm going up to meet Dick Eisner, this icon in the accounting profession. And I've got holes in my shoes. (laughs) And so I said, okay, I can, they were just a few blocks away. I said, I can be there in a half an hour. And he said, great, I'll tell Dick you're coming. And so I went to Johnston and Murphy and I bought a new pair of shoes. And for anyone, work shoes in the old days uh, were not as comfortable as they are today. And so I walked uptown 11 blocks to Richard A. Eisner and Company's offices And had the worst blood blisters ever on my feet. And I remember just being so uncomfortable in that first interview with Dick. And so just my new shoes and uh, all's well, that ends well. And I guess about 30 seconds into, wasn't even an interview, I guess about 30 seconds into meeting Dick, his comment was, when can you start? And I said, Dick, we've, We've hardly met. He said, well, Rick told me you're the best thing since sliced bread. Some some comment like that. And so when can you start? Awesome. And that was the whole interview. And I guess it would have been okay if I had holes in my shoes.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. I want to remind everybody, this is Leadership in Action, Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. I'm your host, Mike Yusseim, and we're talking with Charlie Weinstein, the CEO of is, uh, is, I'm sorry, Eisner Advisory Group. Uh, with a few minutes to go, Charlie, let's begin to pull a few strands together. I'm going to begin with this uh, question for the first round. If somebody listening to the program is finishing up as a fourth-year student at uh, Binghamton or another of the SUNY campuses in New York or anywhere in the USA where this uh, broadcast is directed, and they kind of want to be you some years ahead, uh, not exactly, of course, but at least um, in terms of the kind of responsibilities you carry, and you've expressed a joy throughout our conversation here about what you're doing. What advice would you have to them, age 21, looking back on your own career?
1: I for, for me, the key to success and, and when I talk to I have the I have the, the pleasure and the privilege of talking to our our new starting class uh, each year uh, when when we bring our campus recruits together. And the first year I did it, we had six and now we're up to about one hundred and twenty five. And so it's a fun time. And, and one of the things that that I like to share with the groups is the fact that you need to be curious you need to be asking questions you need to be engaged in conversations there's so much that you can learn from people in different situations and curiosity is the number one indicator of success in this profession there's just so many dots to connect And the only way you can learn to connect those dots is by asking a lot of questions and and, um, learning learning how to apply things from one situation to another. And that's going to be connecting the dots, being curious. Those are the two keys to success that I see in this profession.
0: Let me throw a kind of a a curve at that in the following sense. Some people I'm sure are listening now are thinking, I want to do that, but I'm not, I'm not outgoing. I just don't feel comfortable asking somebody, especially somebody who's substantially higher up in the hierarchy, what they think. So what's your advice to the introverts out there that may want to do what you've just said, but have a hard time doing it right now?
1: Get comfortable with the uncomfortable yeah. and just embrace it. And um, even today, I have a hard time uh, being an extrovert and I have a hard time um, just being o- open and and, and uh, being comfortable in new situations and, and always making sure that I put myself in those positions. and learn to learn to um, grow from them. And so public speaking, how many people find it so difficult to do public speaking? And the other day I did a live TV segment and I must, it was fun. It was great. It was short. And when I took off my sport coat, I was a sweaty mess. And so it, whatever level you're at, um, there are difficult things And uh, embrace them. And and they're still difficult for me today. And I still try and embrace them. That's
0: great. Super. I'm going to put that in one of my summaries when we come to the wrap up in just a minute. A last topic, though, before we do sum up. You've worked with many boards, one above you, but also in your professional society um, and other outside of the profession as well. What, what's your biggest secret on how to work effectively with a board of trustees or a board of directors, or even an advisory board? They don't have a fiduciary responsibility, but they do affect your life. So how do you get the most out of your experience with a
1: board? The, the first key is, well, you alluded to it before, but Uh, it comes in two pieces. And so um, the the first piece is learn the organization, understand the organization, and that will help you find ways that you can contribute and then study the people. You talked about that a lot and study the people and that will be the key to how you communicate effectively. And so you have to find ways when, when you're on a board, uh, to be able to participate effectively. And you can do that by listening and learning and uh, being an an active, active participant.
0: Here's a tactical question regarding what you've just said. I ran into a couple of people in sales of Microsoft a couple of years ago who said their rule is before they go to a meeting with a prospective customer, they have to know everything there is to know from the web about the people in the room before they come in and shake hands and first get acquainted. So, what's, what's again uh, your secret for coming to know the people in the room before you walk into that very room?
1: Try and engage with other people that know them. Mm-hmm. So, if you're, if you're fortunate to join a board, uh, somehow you, you've had a path to get to that board. And so learn more from the people who know uh, others on the board, learn more from people who know about the organization and what makes it tick. And so do that kind of homework. And and of course, the online tools we have today are are different from from many years ago. And and of course, do your homework, no question.
0: Due diligence really helps. Last very uh, final question here, same topic, but a final question. How do you, how have you found that you personally give the most to a board? What, what does it take to be at the top of the game in contributing to an advisory board and oversight board? What does it take on your part to do that?
1: Push the boundaries. Hmm. Have to push the boundaries and we're wherever an organization feels a limitation um, I sit on a management team I I, I try and assess the limitations of, of our organization all the time and then and and a big job of the board is to try and push those boundaries and and get um, get management to stretch and to to um, um, put your confidence behind them. And so uh, just uh, try to push Try to push as much as you can within reason to have the leadership um, get a little uncomfortable.
0: It's hmm. great. Super. Charlie, let's sum up. We're going to bounce back and forth. Uh, the people listening are going to feel like they're at A professional tournament, a tennis tournament. Looking at the ball go from one court to the other. Let's start in uh, your court. What what is what what is a main point you'd like people to really hang on to from our last fifty minutes together?
1: It's all about relationships, and it it's all about. And I I I haven't really used the word yet. Uh, Maybe I have. It it's it's all about. Respect, and, mm-hmm. um, you you will. The more you give to other people, uh, the more you get back.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. All right, balls over to my court here. You've said along the way that whether or not that's a natural skill, a trained skill, whatever it may be, you've got to acquire it. And two of the people that helped you acquire it were two of your mentors you made you offered later on, and for me, it's such a reaffirmation of the of the more general point: uh, don't be shy about reaching out to get great coaching and mentoring from people who really know the profession. Charlie, back to you. One or two
1: more. So, from from my perspective, really important to take the stress out of your life to enjoy what you do and to uh, accentuate the positive.
0: And I think I would add again, the obvious immediate pragmatic implication that doesn't just happen. And uh, we got to think of a lot of ways to make it happen implicitly from what you said and from what I've seen elsewhere, I think what takes a lot of that stress away is simply reminding yourself at the end of the day, or especially maybe at the start of the day, that what you're doing is having an impact, and it's got to get done, and you've been selected to make it happen, and let's make the most of it. Charlie, we got uh, time for about a 15-second final point. I'll throw it to you, and then I've got a final wrap-up. So, one final point you'd like people to hang on to.
1: Build relationships. Just go ahead and build relationships. And uh, someday I'm going to write a book on how to connect the dots. And I've been thinking about it for so long. Um, it's just um, connecting the dots means helping people. And so the key to success.
0: All I can add to that is amen. Let's hear it for that. So Charlie, it's been great having you on the program. How can people find out more about you? What's the best method?
1: So, um, look me up on our on our website. Um, take a look at, at LinkedIn, and uh, you'll find more about me. Um, and I am I'm the face of the firm, but there's a lot behind me, and and I'll peel back the onion.
0: Great. Charlie, it's been really great having you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, great to be in dialogue with you. If you've got a question about the show that you've just heard, you know where to find us. Business Radio at SiriusXM.com. And, of course, we're on Twitter at SXM Business. A special thanks to our guest, Charlie Weinstein. I'd like to thank our producer, Patty Hall, and our sound engineer, Chris Took. I'm Mike Usain. You've been listening to Leadership in Action, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Come back next week. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.